Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. And thank you for joining us as we continue our family Bible studies in the Gospel of Luke. And today the topic is, from the Gospel of Luke, how to teach morality without harm. And we're going to be looking at some verses in Luke chapter 5, and especially Luke chapter 6, both of those. And what's going on in Luke chapter 6 is what is called the Sermon on the Plain, very similar. It's a cousin sermon to the Sermon on the Mount that's recorded in Matthew. That one was recorded seaside. This one is on a great plain, so it's the Sermon on the Plain. Now, I want to tell you today about teaching morality that a lot of parents and catechists are unaware that it can be done in such a way as to create great harm. You may never have heard that before. And I want to point out three portions of Scripture that are extremely dangerous, especially to youth and the young adults who are so prone to abandoning the faith. Let me mention those three dangerous portions of Scripture. The first, the Sermon on the Mount, or the Sermon on the Plain that I've just talked about, Matthew 5 and Luke 6. Second, the Ten Commandments. And third, all the scriptural and Christian teaching on sexual morality. Now, somebody's listening on their radio and said, boy, Steve has just lost his mind. These are dangerous portions of Scripture? They are. Let me try to explain why using a baseball analogy. The Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain would be second base. The Ten Commandments, third base. And the teaching on sexual morality, oh, that would be home plate. What did I leave out? Well, it's first base. And in baseball, even if you run around the bases and hit second, third, and home, but you didn't tag first base, you're out. And when it comes to teaching morality, these good things that are of Christian morality, the Sermon on the Mount, the Ten Commandments, scriptural teaching on sexual morality, you're not just out if you skip first base, but you create a result 180 degrees opposite of what was hoped for. In other words, if you teach the Ten Commandments, you're obviously hoping for a moral life. But if you're skipping a first step, and we're going to be talking about this first step, then you will get a spiritual deformation that will result in behavior that's the opposite of Christian morality. And here's a scripture when we're on this topic of teaching morality without harm that every parent, catechist, priest, deacon, really anyone sharing the faith really needs to have under their belt. And this is from St. Paul's epistle to the Romans in chapter 7. And listen carefully, just to verse 5 here. While we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law. In other words, Paul was saying, apart from Christ, when the law came, 
rather than subduing sinful passions, it aroused them. It says they were at work in our members to, to bear fruit for death. And then the next verse, and you know what? I'll tell you where I'm gunning for today because this is my major concern for the 21st century is how to prevent Catholic youth and young adults from falling away from the faith. And a lot of people fall away not because they intend to do wrong, but because of this verse. This is Romans 7, verse 15. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. You know, when I was a kid, my dad brought home for me a boomerang, and it was the real deal. It was a wooden boomerang, and I found out I was fairly good at it, but I also understood that that thing actually worked. You could throw it real hard to go real high, real far, and come back at you with great speed. And here's the thing. When you use the law or the Sermon on the Mount or Christian teaching on sexual morality, and you do it in a way with skipping this first step that I'm going to be mentioning in a second, it can come back you, back at you with a 180-degree difference of intended results. And Romans 7 goes on, I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. And so what does a young person do? And I'm talking about a young person who grew up in a good Catholic family, went to good schools or good home schools, had a good parish, a good spiritual formation, but skipped the first step. They get so discouraged because they find that uh, <laughs> whatever faith formation they were given without the first step aroused their passions. They didn't understand their own actions. They wanted to do good, and they had the willpower to do it, and they couldn't accomplish it. So they simply give up and walk away. Life is more peaceful for them apart from Christ than trying to follow Christ just hitting second, third, and home plate and skipping the first base. I hope you hear me very clearly because Christ came to bring peace, but they can't find peace internally. Now, we're hoping that I share with you what first base is because without first base, it doesn't do any good to hit second, third, or home. You have to hit first base first, okay? And, and, and you can find this in the very beginning of the Sermon on the Plain in Luke chapter 6 and verse 20. It says, he, Jesus, lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. There are simply two words in that verse that you need to grasp. The Sermon on the Mount was Jesus's teaching for his disciples. I'll say that again. It was his teaching for his disciples. And the first teaching to his disciples is, blessed are you poor. And we went over this beatitude last week. It means the those who are literally physically poor, but also poverty of spirit. And this particular Greek word for poor means absolutely destitute. So it would be somebody who would be homeless and without any means whatsoever, empty hands, having to 
begged to keep themselves alive for the next 24 to 72 hours. Okay, now, this is related to the discipleship, poor in spirit and discipleship, and this is the first base, and you have to get the first base. If you teach morality without the first base, and if you teach morality assuming everybody in your class, assuming your children, assuming the people in your parish understand completely first base and they really don't, you will do harm through your teaching of morality. So what, what is this? Well, if you want to see a picture of discipleship, if you want to see a picture of poor in spirit, because this is first base that you need to have under your belt, so to speak, when you approach something like the Sermon Amount. You know, when you try to love your enemies out of your own willpower, all I can say to you is good luck, because this isn't designed to be done just under your own willpower. First base is the chapter just before, when there was a great catch of fish, and as a result of that great catch of fish, Jesus then calls Peter and his fellow workers to discipleship. And what did we read about our first pope? We read about something that is so incredibly important. It, it, you might just say, well, this is a nice fishing story. No, this isn't a nice fishing story. This is the essence of discipleship. Peter didn't come to Jesus and say, you know, I've really tried to be a good person. Uh, you know, I go to synagogue, because back then there was only synagogues, there wasn't Christian churches. I go to synagogue uh, every Saturday. I try to do this. I try to help my neighbor. I try to be a good this or that. No. Those are the answers you will get from young people today and adults, okay? When I was a Protestant minister for 20 years, youth minister and minister and campus ministry, this is the only response I got back from Catholics, the only response. I never heard first base. Here's first base. The first pope falling down at the knees of Jesus, and he simply says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, Lord. You see, that's first base. And I don't know, something has gotten twisted around so that we say, oh, no, we become little saints as we try to teach our children. And if you're a good little boy or a good little girl and you go through these steps, then you earn the right to come to Jesus in the sacraments and this and that. And, and really, you're teaching them to skip first base and strike out. And when they get a little older and begin to have the struggles of the moral life, they'll find out that the sinful passions aroused by the law, they don't understand their own actions, they end up doing what they don't want to do, they get so frustrated, they lack peace, and they fall away from the faith. And this is what's happening to tens of millions of Catholic youth today. The other way to approach this is that when I come to Jesus, I come like Peter did. Depart from me, Jesus, for I am a sinful man. That's what we somehow have to get across. We don't bring something to Jesus, okay? We come empty-handed to his cross. Now, what happens when we come empty-handed? Jesus said, you are blessed. You are filled with grace. 
And the emptier you are, the more you're filled. And at least this is my estimation. If you want to be a faithful disciple of Jesus in the 21st century, you really need to be filled today with God's grace, with the Holy Spirit. You have to know his love deep within you. And that comes through the poverty of spirit. It's not saying, you know, I'm basically a good person. It's, it's no, depart from me, Jesus. I could understand why you wouldn't want any part of me, but because of your love, not because of my greatness or my sanctity, you love me. That's why we have a union with Christ. Now, is there other things to do in the uh, Christian life? Absolutely. But apart from first base, apart from getting that grace is the first step. Now, here's the secret to the rest of the Christian life. The rest of the entire Christian life including living out the Sermon on the Mount, including trying to fulfill the commands of the Ten Commandments as revealed in the New Testament, including trying to keep Christian sexual morality. All of that is predicated on not only beginning by God's grace, but every step after that depending on God's grace. Here is the most important paragraph that I've ever seen in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and it's not in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It's in a book written by the two authors of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, then Cardinal Ratzinger and Archbishop Schornborn. They wrote a little thin book called Introduction to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and here's what they say. Only only when he recognizes the supernatural power that flows from his being in Christ through the Holy Spirit. Okay, That power comes, not willpower, Holy Spirit power. Can the faithful disciple of Christ make the effort with confident heart, without fear, to practice and to increase the Christian life according to the Decalogue? In other words, if you want to keep the Ten Commandments, it's only when you see that the power comes from Christ to do that. And now here's the, the, the real zinger. Hang on with me. Without the preceding doctrine of the sacraments, the sacraments provide the ongoing grace, which also implies the teaching about the mystery of the church and of justification, and justification is by the grace of God. The precepts of the Decalogue seem to exceed our human capacity. You can't do it. In today's world, it's gotten tougher to do it. It's not impossible if you have the power of Almighty God working in your being. But if you don't come to him with poverty of spirit, he goes, next. <laughs> He's looking for somebody who says, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. I come to you apart from my goodness, apart from my achievement. And here's, here's where you have to go. And especially in the 21st century, there's no room for error here. The primacy of catechesis, and I'm again going back to Cardinal Schornborn and, and then Pope Benedict, the primacy in catechesis is to be given to God and his works. In other words, not to me. Whatever man has to do, and there's certainly good works we have to do, that's the teaching, okay? But whatever man has to do will always be a response to God and his works. And then they summarize the catechism of the Catholic Church. God is first, grace is first. So how does this work out? 
Well, probably the most dangerous place on earth for a young Christian person is in a chastity talk that talks about second, third, and home plate without hitting first, without beginning with grace and then saying not only to get to first base do you need grace, but you need grace to get to the second base, the third base, and to make it home. Chastity talks must have a clear, convincing, and compelling presentation of God's grace because it's not something we do. Otherwise, you get the Romans 7 boomerang and the morality comes right back at you. It simply stirs up the wrong stuff. Let's go to uh, catechism classes on the Ten Commandments and the moral requirements for the Christian life. They also must include a declaration of God's grace. That's why Cardinal Schornborn and Pope Benedict, when they got to the last section of the catechism that teaches on the Ten Commandments and prayer, I should say, you have to have the emphasis of grace come back because it just doesn't begin the Christian life, it goes on. Here's another utter necessity to emphasize God's grace, and that's overcoming addictions. There's a lot of addictions. There's pornography addictions, other types of sexual addictions, there's uh, gambling addictions, alcohol addictions, uh, you name it. And there's basically two ways to do this. The most common way is various techniques that teach you the willpower to do this. And surprise, surprise, there's repeated failure with willpower. See, grace just doesn't begin the Christian life. It is the constant step throughout it. And grace is the key versus willpower. You know, I was at a conference and I heard what I consider the best talk on overcoming pornography, which I've been helping Catholic men in this area for several years. In fact, years before many of the people who are out there helping Catholic men at this point. And this is the best talk I ever heard on helping men overcome pornography. And the essence of the talk was grace. And in fact, if you want to hear this talk, it's entitled, and you can Google this, Pastoring Young Men to manhood, and it was by Father Jacobse, J-A-C-O-B-S-E. So if you Google pastoring young men to manhood and then J-A-C-O-B-S-E, it will take you to this. Father Jacobse is an Orthodox priest. He spoke at the Touchstone Conference, but a National Catholic leader and author stood up the next morning before he gave his talk and said, that was the best homily I've ever heard in my life, period. So it's basically overcoming deeply rooted addictions with the power of grace. So if I would summarize um, Catholic expertise, and I've been a Catholic, by the time you hear this broadcast, just about 29 years. And I would say Catholics are experts at second base, third base, and home plate. But so often, they're missing first base. Now, here's why. Catholics know, unlike some of their Protestant friends, that works are necessary for salvation. It's clear cut. Like, here's a couple of uh, forgotten verses out of Paul's epistle to the Romans. 
which many Protestants think is an epistle that teaches against works. It says, by your hard and impenitent heart, this is Romans 2, 5, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. For, verse 6, he will render to every man according to his works. That's right out of Romans. Here's one from Revelation. It's one of the reasons Martin Luther didn't think too highly of the book of Revelation. Revelation 20. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And where the dead were judged out of those things were, which were written in the books according to their works. Revelation 20, Romans 2. So Catholics are aware that they need to do works. Protestants, uh, on the other hand, are real good at getting to first base, but they think that's the whole Christian life. And, you know, you can play great baseball, get hit after hit, and get guys on first, but if that's all they do, you're never going to win a game. You're never going to get home. That's the idea of the Christian life. So you have good works, but you need to know something about good works. And the best place that I can think of, it's so succinct, if you kind of want to balance here, actually I have two places. It's St. Paul, of course, and it's first is his epistle to the Philippians, and it's two verses, verses 12 and 13. Now, if this is how you catechize children or adults, you'll be doing harm. It starts out with, verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Um, okay, so we're, we're to work out our own salvation. But the next verse says, for God is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, anything doing good, keeping the moral life starts with the will, and then it's not only the will, but it, then it has to go out into the life. Where's the power to do that? Both of those, the key to working out your own salvation is to recognize that God is at work within you. And here's another one. This is one of my favorites. It's from St. Paul again in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10. He says, I worked harder than any of them. So, I mean, if there was a guy doing good works, it was St. Paul. I worked harder than any of them. But now listen to the last half of the verse. Though it was not I, but the grace of God, which is within me. And so he recognized there is a whole different dynamic in his life, causing him not to live Romans 7, but to live Romans 8, which is the great deliverance and praise of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And see, this is what the sacraments are for. It's getting to first base with your empty hands and coming to God, not with, I've done this, I've done that, I don't do this, I don't do that, but Jesus, I need your grace. That's first base. But then we need to go on and do good works, but we have to have grace for living the Christian life, for doing good works. And the key here, I believe, is a verse that I chose for my first sermon in my uh, church that I planted. As a Protestant, there's a thing called a church planner. You start a congregation from scratch, 
And then after a few months, we got going, and then there's a formal organizing uh, worship service. And for my first sermon to kind of focus everything we are going to be doing, I chose a verse that I didn't know (laughs) what the implications were. But here's the verse. It says, Jesus speaking, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. See, does the good works, can live the moral life. For Jesus says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's the part I really focused on in my sermon. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. But what I didn't fully appreciate about this verse in my opening sermon is that Jesus, inciting this, being the vine and we're the branches and we abide in him, because what happens? The branches are getting life, the sap going out into the branches that comes out in fruit. It's, a, it's from Christ, but how does it come from Christ? Well, John 15, where this verse, John 15, 5, comes from, is Jesus's teaching in the upper room as he was instituting the Eucharist at the Last Supper. You see, this is how we have the strength of grace to continue. But, you know, I think it's very dangerous that very often as children are brought to the sacraments, it's almost like a graduation, and instead of a diploma, they get a sacrament for something they've earned. And it's not for something they've earned. It's something that was done for them on the cross and from the love of God, and it's bestowed on the undeserving by grace. And you know, I listened to probably a thousand and one objections to Catholicism folks call in on Catholic radio about. But let me tell you something. If you want to take the stinger out of anti-Catholicism— and I'll mention I led people out of the church. As a Protestant pastor, I taught against Catholicism. But I have a news for you. You get a, a, an answer to an objection, uh, it will not change anti-Catholic attitudes until they see the grace of God emphasized in all aspects of Catholic life and belief and moral teaching. And when they start hearing grace at first base, second, third, and home. They start hearing grace to become a disciple of Jesus, and they start hearing about grace to maintain a disciple of Jesus, and they start hearing about grace when you receive the Eucharist, then the stinger in Protestantism is gone, and you will see some conversions. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 238 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to order copies of Faith and Family broadcasts and to learn more about Catholic family life.